Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the night here, and we thank you just for our time uh, to gather together. Lord, even in uh, gloomy weather, uh, and Lord, just not the greatest circumstances outside, but thank you just for the joy uh, that we can have when we gather together here tonight to study your word. But Lord, even as we've started now singing your word and singing truth back to you about who you are, Lord, we just thank you that you love us, uh, God, that you care for us, and Lord, that you have rescued and redeemed us from our sins when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I pray now that you would bless our time together. Uh, Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here. And Lord, I pray uh, that as we study, Lord, you would speak to our hearts and we would leave change because of it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for being here. Uh, I'm a little nervous, if I'm honest with you, about being here with you tonight. I was telling somebody earlier, uh, I know I shouldn't be nervous because, like, you're adults, so you're not going to do anything crazy, I don't think. Uh, But, like, I've... If you don't know me, I've worked in student ministry here for about two and a half years now. Uh, I'm Josh Shirley. I'm moving and transitioning out of student ministry uh, into discipleship pastor role. Uh, and if you were like, well, what is that? Like, well, that's what kind of Randy Brown does, Beverly Reed did, kind of all mashed together in one to oversee that. And so you would think I wouldn't be nervous being in here with adults because with students, like you really never know what was going to happen. Uh, but I've done student ministry now full time for almost 16 years. And so it's a little bit of a change and a little bit of difference. Like I was telling somebody earlier, uh, I'm good in here because like my seventh grade boys have started a collage of taking pictures of the back of my head to make a movie. So as long as y'all don't do that, like I'll feel, I won't, I won't feel weird or anything like that, but I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, my wife, Amanda's here. Uh, we've really enjoyed our time here at Lindsay Lane. Uh, the Lord moved us here uh, from Houston, Texas. For those of you who don't know, I'm originally from Muscle Shoals. Uh, and so the Lord moved us here a couple of years back and like the Lord really has been good to us. You as a church family have been good to us. I don't always like, get the opportunity to say those things in front of you or to all of you. Uh, and so I just wanted to share that with you tonight. Tonight, we're going to continue uh, this study that y'all have been going through, I think the whole month of May, on the theology of man. Uh, and if I, I read correctly or remember correctly, last week y'all talked about like the material part of man or like man's body or how God created us and made us in his image and breathed life. We we're made out of the dust uh, and out of the dust will, or into the dust will return one way or another when we die. Uh, but also like kind of looking at some issues that there, is, that there are uh, with that in regards to like hedonism and some other things that can cause issues. And so tonight we're not going to talk so much about the material, but we're going to move on to like the immaterial part of man. And so as I prepared for this, like in my mind, I had to go back because this is not something that not like, it's something that I know, you know, there's those things that you know, but like depending upon your audience, like you don't necessarily always teach it that exact way. Uh, And so I can honestly say that in 16 years of doing student ministry, I've never taught like dichotomy or trichotomy or the immaterial or the material part of man. Uh, But it's, it's there. Like it's been in my teaching, just not this way. Uh, And so tonight that's a little bit different for me, but we're going to look at the immaterial part of man. And so I think I maybe have slides. Yeah, there they are. All right. So this will help keep me on track. This is for your benefit, but it also keeps me on track as well. 
But we're going to look at this, and there's a couple of different things that we're going to look at. Like, you see soul or spirit, or it says soul and spirit, and then there's the real fun one at the bottom that says soul, spirit, mind, heart, and then blank. And really, as we study through this and we talk about this tonight, the immaterial part, there's really two views that we're going to like look at. Uh, one is dichotomy, and one is trichotomy, or if you believe those things, a dichotomous or trichotomous. Now, you may have came and been like, wow, this is not what I signed up for on a Wednesday, rainy Wednesday night. But don't worry, those are just like real fancy $5 words. If you want to go out and like you hear a deep theological question going on somewhere around you, like just start saying these words and throwing them out and people might pay you attention and be like, wow, they know what they're talking about. Uh, but we're going to kind of look at these things. And in these two views, there are obviously more, but there's these two views. And if you look at the prefixes of them uh, for dichotomous and trichotomous, like it's pretty obvious. Like one believes that there's two parts and one believes that there's three parts. And I threw that other one up there because there's a whole nother view that like opens up if you believe that there are these three parts that it just keeps going on and on and on and on. Uh, and so we're not really going to get into that, but we're just going to look at these two tonight. And so just to kind of give you like a definition of dichotomous, they believe like man is made up of two parts. So like I said, uh, last week, y'all talked about the material, or the last few weeks, you've talked about the material part of man, like our body and like how God made us. And so this week we would say in a dichotomous view, there's that part, there's the material part, there's our physical bodies that God made and God created. But a dichotomous would all say there's this immaterial part. And we see this all throughout scripture and they would use soul and spirit or soul or spirit. Uh, and in a dichotomous view, that's the immaterial part. So there's a material part and an immaterial part, and the immaterial part would just be one piece, if that makes sense. Hopefully that's as clear as mud to you. But like in the dichotomous view, like soul, spirit, and heart, the key thing to remember, like, or even throwing in mind, all of those words are interchangeable. Like it's not like there's your soul and then your spirit and then your mind and then this. We'll kind of get to that in a minute with uh, the trichotomous view, but I, I wanted us to open up our Bibles. If you ever did Bible drill, you'll come in real handy tonight because we're going to be flipping through a lot of scripture just to kind of give you an idea of what's happening and what's going on. Because I want what I really want us to see, uh, especially with either view or like anything that we study in scripture, is that it's all throughout. Like it's not just in this one little spot. Like it's not just in this tiny letter of Paul or it's not just in this obscure minor prophet over here in the Old Testament, but we see it all throughout Scripture. And so I think that's one thing that's important to keep in mind with this viewpoint is that it's all throughout Scripture. Uh, so if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, don't worry, I won't do you like I do our students and make you read out loud, uh, but I'll read it for us. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verse 29. And this will sound really familiar to some other places, and so I, I wanted to use this one tonight. Uh, and it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You say, okay, well, you're talking about a dichotomous view that you're saying heart and soul are the same thing. Why are they saying both of them in the same sentence? That's a good question. Uh, and we'll kind of see a little bit more of that here later. But it's really this idea of like with everything that you have. Like if somebody, you would see somebody doing a good job or like a teacher, like my dad taught school for 30 plus years and my dad, I would say, put his heart and soul into teaching. He put his heart and soul into fishing. He's a referee, a uh, football official. I think he may have flagged Cody once or 
twice. Uh, hopefully he doesn't hold that against me. But like he put everything he had into that. Like even I think about back like my dad last year, if y'all remember praying for him, like he had a brain bleed and wasn't supposed to be back out on the football field, but somehow managed to work his way back out onto the football field after recovering because it, he put his heart and soul into all those things. And so it's that idea that you're putting everything that you have, you're putting heart and soul into it, and it emphasizes uh, that. So the other passage of Scripture I put up there, if you'll flip over to the New Testament and look in the, in the book of John, in John chapter 12, and I didn't put this verse on, your, on this slide, but it's also right there, or it may not be in your Bible, but in my Bible, it's just right across the page. But we'll start in John 12, and look at verse 27. John chapter 12, verse 27, and seeing this idea of soul, spirit, and heart being interchangeable. All right, so let's read that together. And this is Jesus speaking as he's anticipating all the things that are happening leading up to his death, uh, preceding him going to the cross, even preceding some other things that we're going to read uh, here in just a second. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So you see here in this verse, he's saying, my soul is troubled, like my inner person, my inner man is troubled, like this is weighing heavy on me. All right, look over in, I think the next one is John 13, verse 21. Let's look at that. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, getting ready to tell them that one of them is going to betray him and one of them is going to walk away uh, even before uh, he's crucified. And he says in verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So you see in these two instances, like this is the same person, but yet he's speaking of his soul and he's speaking of his spirit, both being troubled or both being disturbed or both feeling anguish towards what is about to happen. And the verse I didn't put on here, but like I, as I was preparing today, like I just kept reading and, and saw it is in John chapter 14 in verse one. And in chapter 14, he says this not one time, but twice as he's speaking to his disciples, trying to prepare them for what is happening. And he begins chapter 14 by simply saying, let not your hearts be troubled. And then if you read over a little bit further, he repeats that again. So you, again, you get this picture of like, okay, this is that part where you see that spirit, soul, and heart, they're all interchangeable. They're not distinctive things that like it's its own little separate entity and like within us, like there's all these little pieces. No, it's this, it's that, that is what constitutes that immaterial man. That's what makes up that immaterial man. Uh, and I put on there Revelation 6, 9, you don't have to turn there. Uh, we won't read it for sake of time, but like I just wanted you to kind of see like from beginning to end, like in John or in Revelation 6, 9, John is speaking and saying, that he sees all this stuff happening and, and happening in heaven, and he sees the scrolls being opened, and he says that uh, I see the souls of those uh, who have testified and been found faithful and were killed for their faith. Those who were martyred, he sees their souls gathered around the throne as all these things are unfolding. And so I just threw that in there just to kind of continue to give you that picture of like soul and spirit and heart and mind, like they're all interchangeable. 
And so most people, like if you're saying, okay, so which one do we walk out of here and we get a stamp and we say, I'm a dichotomous or a trichotomous, which one do we believe? Well, most people hold this viewpoint of dichotomy, that there is material man and immaterial man. There's only two parts. And that in that immaterial man, soul and spirit are just one thing, like they're all interchangeable. But I want us to kind of look at not just that viewpoint, because I also want you to see the trichotomous view, because well, I also gave you the proof text of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and that's another one that you can look at and write down and read later. Paul talking about our, our body being a tent, and that tent is decaying. It's where we get that, uh, the thought and the, the being reminded that to be absent from the body is to be present, present with the Lord, that our, our body may be dead and, and buried in the ground, or our ashes may be spread, but like our soul is with the Lord. And so I just, I gave you that as another uh, text as well. But let's look at trichotomy. And trichotomy would say that man is made of three parts, uh, that there's that immaterial, or there's that material part, the body, and then it would say there's an immaterial part that has two pieces to it, that there is soul and spirit, and that they're separate things. And yes, like there are some texts that they can use to support this. So I want us to look at those and give that a, a thought. If you will, flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. And to me, this is the only one that I've ever known that kind of like is used to support this, this viewpoint. Um, and I remember this from seminary, and that was a long time ago. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you see there, like the author of Hebrews, they take that text to say, okay, see, he has pointed out that the Word of God is able to separate those two things out, that there is a separate part that is the soul, and then there's a separate part that is spirit, and the Word of God can divide clearly between those two. All right, so then look at this other passage. If you flip back in your Bibles a little bit to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read that, especially to me, like I knew the other text, but as I was reading and studying this, like this text, this 1 Thessalonians passage, it's like, oh, like, there are all three because it's talking about may you be uh, completely uh, able to be presented to God the Father. In, uh, and if you look back at it, it says your whole spirit and soul and body, may they all be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you hear that, like it's like, oh, well, maybe I'm like wrong on this other and maybe this is correct. So what do you do when like you run into a spot and like you have thought it through and you've examined it as best you can, well, that's when you start to consult with people who are way more intelligent than you'll ever be, or you start to seek out like scholarly wisdom. Like there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, and there are people, uh, believe it or not, who are way smarter than I am and have studied these things for a long time. And so one of those that I wanted to share with you kind of reflects back to first uh, uh, to that first section of Hebrews 4.12. It's from John MacArthur, and he says this, he says, these, t these terms do not describe two separate entities, talking about uh, the soul and the spirit, any more than in that verse that thoughts and intentions do. 
but they're used as one might say, heart and soul to express fullness. Remember I told you about like, you say somebody gives it their all and they're giving it their heart and their soul. They put everything that they have into it. Well, what he's saying is like, that's kind of the same idea with soul and spirit here. They're not separate things, but it's saying that you like are putting everything that you have into it. You know, a lot of times when you read uh, in the Bible, like you read a passage of scripture and it says rejoice. And again, I say what? It says rejoice. So there's that double, it's like we got it the first time, we're supposed to rejoice. But by repeating it, it gives that emphasis to it that says like, hey, you really do need to rejoice. And you really do need to understand this, this concept. And so that's the part about that one in, in Hebrews 4.12. And then one other one uh, from uh, Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology says this, and I did not, I don't know if y'all have ever had a systematic class. I don't know if you enjoy that kind of stuff. That was not my favorite class, but I do remember this. Uh, and scripture, it says, he says, scripture doesn't seem to support a distinction between soul and spirit. He says, there does not seem to be a satisfactory answer to the questions, what can the spirit do that the soul can't do? And what can the soul do that the spirit can't do? Now, I said I didn't like systemat, but when you put things like that plainly, I can understand that. Like, I can understand, like, if there's no distinction in defining them and there's no distinction in, like, their function, and other people, most people hold the view that they are very similar and they're interchangeable, then that makes sense. Like, if you can't separate them out, like, why would you even try to do that? And so uh, I share that with you, and just to kind of lay some groundwork of this whole idea of studying uh, the immaterial and applying that with what you learned about the material, and I know you may be sitting there thinking like, okay, we have sat through your TED Talk, and we understand some of this, these two views. So I would ask the question, like, so what? Who cares? Like, I listen to a podcast. They recap some of the Bible stories, and at the end, they always do a section called, so what? Who cares? And they take it and apply it. And I thought, well, and I'm going to steal that, and I'm going to use that. Because I do think, like, as you learn these things, I think it's important for us to know these things. Like, I thought about why would our pastor, why would Andy John, Pastor Andy John, why would he want us to spend Wednesday night studying the theology of man? Like, why is that important for you and I to know? Like, why is it important for us to know, like, these different viewpoints and to kind of think through uh, where we stand on these things? Like, I would tell you, like, dichotomy, trichotomy, like, those are not the things that are, like, the hills that you hear people dying on. Like, they're not going to fight for those things uh, to their grave. Even if you look it up, like, you will find very few people uh, that support a trichotomous view. Like, most everybody's in the camp of dichotomy. So why is this important for us to understand? Well, I think it's important for us to understand when you see the big picture of this study of theology of man. Because as Andy John pointed out in the last few weeks, like it's important for you and I to understand and to know like how we were created, why we were created, that God created us. We bear his image. We are made in his likeness. We're to be his image bearers in our lives every day and that we're to continue to, to testify to who he is and tell others of what he's done for us. And some of the issues that come along with the material side of like our body and those types of things, like you run into that uh, with the immaterial side. Like some people would take a dichotomy or trichotomy view and they would say, okay, like there are two parts. Let's say there's two parts. Well, and Paul dealt with this heresy of saying like the body, 
is wicked, the body is evil, but the soul is detached from the body. It's just trapped in the body. And he fought against the argument of, well, I can do whatever I want to with my body because my body's going to die and my soul will go to be with God. So my inner man is clean and my outer man is just whatever. I have no control over it. So it gave, you can imagine what that looks like. It gave people like permission and liberty to, they just said, I'll do whatever I want to with my body because my body's not really who I am. And so you run into that issue, or even from the three-part side of it, you would run into some issues uh, along the lines of like, you've got body, you've got soul, spirit, or soul and spirit, or they might even throw in mind. And so what some people would try to take and do, do with that is, okay, you've got your uh, soul and your spirit. And they would say, well, a pastor can speak to you, and I run into this in counseling, a, a, a pastor can speak to your soul for soul care. And you would go to a doctor for your body and your physical care. And we'd say, yeah, that's great. That's right. You know, that's correct. But then they'd also say, like, for your mind, you would go to a psychologist. And in their minds, they would say, none of those three things interact. And they would say, the Bible cannot speak to all those things. The Bible can only speak to what is spiritual or soul. So you kind of see the issue, like, we would say that the Bible is sufficient to handle anything that we face in life. Like we would go to a doctor. Yes, as believers, like we would go to a doctor to get treatment and to seek out wisdom. But you know as well as I do, we're also going to pray about whatever comes up, like whatever happens in those situations. Like if there's a diagnosis of cancer, like yes, we'll continue to see the doctor, but we're also going to pray so there's spiritual and physical body going together, if that makes sense. And so all of these things come together really in this kind of so what, who cares, because what you begin to see when you unravel all of this is that uh, the immaterial and the material, like all those things come together and they reveal man's sin issue. And what it does is it points to, you know, I told you sometimes people would see like, hey, the body's wicked and evil, the soul is clean. But what you really start to see when you study it is that like what we do outwardly is just revealing what is really going on inwardly. Like, if you have kids, and, I, I, you know, if you don't, I'll volunteer mine as tribute to you so you can see it. But, like, you can see your kids do something wrong, and you can modify that behavior and get the outcome that you want. But if you've had kids, you know, like, if you modify that behavior, it might work the first time. It might work the second time. But there's going to come a time where they're going to be like, nope, I'm not doing that. I want what I want, so I'm going to do what I want to do. And they're going to go back to it. Why? because you've not changed their heart. Because unless there's a heart change, they will always continue to go back and we will always continue to go back and do those other things. So what I wanted us to do as we kind of wrap up our time is look at these passages of scripture that I gave you, or I've got on the screen for man's sin issue. I'm gonna start with James and, and kind of work my way through this. So I, I got these out of order, uh, that's on me. I'd already sent Andrew a revision once and so I uh, wasn't gonna do that to him again. But James chapter one, verses 13 through 15, if you'll look there uh, with me. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Matter of fact, I shared it with the, the baseball team the other day and just talking with them because it so clearly paints the picture and the pattern and the problem of sin and like our issue with sin. So James chapter one, verse 13, uh, says this, let nobody say when he's tempted that I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. 
Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I, I share this passage of Scripture a lot, like I've taught it a lot of different places, because it really does help us understand, like, sometimes I think people are like, all right, I, I don't know how I got in this situation. I don't know how I committed the sin. I don't know how this happened. Well, you do. You just don't want to admit it. You don't want to think about it. And I tell them, like, I'm not a fisherman at all, but this is an illustration of, like, how fishing works uh, and all those things that go along with it. And I don't know if y'all are fishermen. I know we're real close to a lot of lakes and rivers and all that stuff. I used to go fishing. I just don't like touching fish. I finally worked up the nerve where I'll bait my own hook and that type of thing because my kids like it. I just don't like touching fish. Uh, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, but in fishing, like, it, you see this picture painted. Like, I understand it. Like, there's a lure that you have to put on there to, distinct, to disguise the hook. Because a fish is not just going to jump on a hook unless it's maybe a little crazy or just super hungry and like very uh, curious. But it usually will not do that. So you disguise it. You put on something that is enticing or tempting to that fish so that they think, hey, I'm about to get a free meal and I'm about to enjoy this free meal. Well, as the fish is enticed by that and they bite, and you, if you're like me, I like to fish with bobber so I know everything that's going on and I don't have to guess if something's on my line. You watch that little bobber on the water top and when it goes under, what is your reaction? You, you pull up and you set the hook. Like if I don't remember anything that my grandfather taught me about fishing, I remember you set the hook and I thought I'm gonna be the best at setting the hook and make sure this fish doesn't get off the line. And when you hook that fish and you set that hook, it's essentially over for that fish. Like it's essentially over. Like they may have thought they were getting a free meal. They may have thought that this is just going to be their best day. But now against their will, they're being wheeled, uh, reeled into the shore, uh, probably going to be eaten. Or maybe if they're lucky and they get me, they're just going to hang out on the hook for a long time because I don't want to touch them. But either way, like they're being displaced from their home and from their comfort zone. And the same is true with sin in our lives. Like when we see something that is tempting and we come up with this idea, I want that, or I think I need that in my life. It's not an, always an outward action at first, is it? It starts in our hearts. It starts with this desire within us, in that immaterial part of us, within our soul, our spirit, our heart. And then that begins to, we think, okay, I want this. And then we start to think and use our mind and say, if I want this, and this is the outcome that I want, or the thing that I desire, how do I get it? And so we start to think in our minds, okay, this is what I want. How do I make this happen? How does this how do I achieve this in my life? And so then that thought leads to action. And so you see, it's not just the physical part of actually committing the sin, but it starts in our hearts. It starts in that immaterial part, in our inner man of thinking, this is what I want. And oftentimes it's thinking, I know God has told me this is not what I need in my life, but I know better than God, so I'm going to pursue this. And maybe God's even put some obstacles in my way, but I'm going to think and plan and scheme so that I can have what I want. Like we do what we do because we want what we want, and it starts in our heart. So I share that passage with you just to kind of set the tone for that. But if you'll flip back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, like it's not just actions. Here in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 21 through 27, 
like Jesus is teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving all these instructions and, and telling them, hey, if you want to be happy, if you want to live a blessed life, you know, in that first part of chapter 5, do these things. But then you get to verse 21 and to verse 27, and we begin to see, like Jesus is saying, like it's not just what you do outwardly, but it's really the intentions of your heart. Look with me at uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21. He says, You've heard it said, or you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. All right, skip down with me to verse 27. To illustrate this even further, he says, You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everybody who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose, or better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose that one of your members than, than your whole body going to hell. You see, Jesus is painting this picture of, hey, listen, you know the commands. You know that you should not murder. That's pretty well easily understood. Like, regardless of what culture, what time frame you're in, like, everybody has this moral concept of, like, I shouldn't murder. Now, there are exceptions uh, where people just live sinful lives and, and murder anyway, but he's taking this. Most of us, I would venture to say, most of us in this room would say, I'm not guilty of murder. Like, I have never murdered anyone in my life, and I don't plan on it. But what Jesus takes it a step further and says, okay, that's the outward, but I'm going to tell you what's really in your hearts, because I know that you have been angry. I know people struggle with anger. Uh, and I've told our students multiple times, like, if you want to tell me that you don't struggle with anger, I know that you don't drive on 72. I know that you don't drive through a roundabout, or I know that you don't try to find a checkout line at Walmart. Like, so I know that in those ways, but they deal with anger other ways, but to have anger in your heart. Like, I know none of us would raise our hand and say, yes, I have wanted to murder someone and thought about that. If you have, we have a new sheriff. I'd like for you to talk to him and let him take care of that. But all of us, if we're really honest, we would raise our hand and say, yes, at some point in my life, I've been angry and I have have had anger in my heart uh, towards somebody else. You know, I, my kids aren't in here, so I can use them as an illustration. Like, it doesn't take long for my kids to become angry with one another. And I know that what I'm seeing out of them has already been, like, in their hearts. And they just tried to sort it out and think through, how do I take out this anger on my sister? Or how do I take out this anger towards my parents? Uh, I know your kids wouldn't do this at all, but, like, that's, I can see that. Like, and I can sense it because I know that that's true in my own life. Or even this idea of lust and adultery, like most of us would say on our best day, I don't wake up thinking today I'm going to commit adultery. Today is the day that I'm just going to throw it all, all caution to the wind, and I'm going to go commit adultery. But no, we would be tempted and, and look at people with a lustful eye or look at something with a, an envious eye. And Jesus himself says, hey, listen, that's as guilty of sin as the actual action. All right, so there's, there's that passage. And then if you would, I flip over to Luke chapter 11. And there's another uh, passage talking about dealing with what's in our hearts rather than just what is external. 
And in Luke chapter 39, or Luke chapter 11, I'm sorry, there's not a Luke 39. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And so you think about this for just a minute before we read this passage. Like, here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees, who would, for all like intents and purposes, be the best people of keeping up this really religious, this really spiritual facade of we do all the right things. Like, look at us. We wear the right clothes. We cut our hair the right way. We obey all of the Old Testament. We obey all of the law. And even those things that were in the Old Testament law, we didn't think they were enough. So we added some more laws to it and we keep those too. And not only that, but we're going to like lift ourselves up by pointing out everybody else's failures. So these are people who think they have got it all together and Jesus confronts them and begins to talk to them uh, there in verse 39. And it says, the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools did not he who made the outside make the inside also. And so when you see this verse and you hear these words of Christ, like it echoes what we've already read uh, back in Matthew chapter 5. Like it's not just the outward, it's the inner. Like you can make it look real good on the outside, but if the inside is filthy and dirty and corrupt and there's sin in your heart, no matter how hard you fight to make that outside all shiny and polished and presentable, eventually what is in your heart, that's going to come out. And you're going to see it play out and if you don't deal with it. And so all of these things like really point to man's uh, sin issue. And what I wanted to do kind of as we finish up our time together uh, is I'm not always the best with words. And so I like to find people who are, which is why I gave you those two quotes earlier. Uh, but uh, I get a devotion each week called The Wednesday's Word uh, from a guy named Paul Tripp. He wrote a great devotional that I gave to our seniors this past uh, Sunday or two Sundays ago for graduate recognition, but it's he's really good with words like and I'm not and so I wanted to read this to you because it paints such a great picture of like man's sin problem has not just like happened in this week like man's sinfulness that inner part of our heart that uh, you'll hear in this that arrogance and pride that says I want what I want so I'm going to do what I want to do like that's been a problem from the very beginning. And so I want to read this to you and I want you just to kind of listen because he traces it all the way back from Adam and Eve all the way through. And so just kind of listen as I read this to you uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up our time together here tonight. He says, Adam and Eve thought they knew better. They stepped over holy boundaries. They sought another's glory, arrogance, and pride. Pharaoh resisted, Moses kept pleading, refused Israel's re release, plagues were raining down, arrogance and pride. Achan was greedy, envying enemy spoils. He could not resist possessing what God prohibited, arrogance and pride. David looked at the forbidden, he mishandled his power, he stole another man's wife, adultery and murder, arrogance and pride. Nebuchadnezzar wanted glory, the deity's place. He demanded power and worship. He resisted God's warning, arrogance, and pride. Israel's leaders ignored the plight of their brothers and sisters. They laid on ivory couches. They drank wine from big bowls, arrogance, and pride. Herod slaughtered infant boys. He tried to kill the newborn king, selfish for his power and throne, arrogance, and pride. The Pharisees perverted their father's religion. They bound people with, burden, with burdens. They plotted against the Messiah, arrogance, 
and pride. Peter drew an angry sword defending the Messiah, a strike against the Father's plan, arrogance and pride. Powers raged against the infant church. They sought to crush the gospel spread in a fight that they could not win, arrogance and pride. Conceived in sin, we want our own way, resisting the one who gives us breath, arrogance and pride. This story has a glorious end. We wouldn't be left in this sorry state. God would crush what held us fast, arrogance and pride. Jesus died a cruel death, and he gave himself as a sacrifice. And this grace alone would set us free from arrogance and pride. You see, I read that to you, uh, and I hope that you hear it. Like, I hope that you hear it. It wasn't just the outward things that they did. Yes, those things were evil. Yes, they were wicked. Yes, they were sin against a holy God. But all those things, as evil and wicked as they are, they started in people's hearts. If you don't deal with the heart of the issue, you can cover it up all you want to, but eventually it's going to come out and it's going to reveal our true sinful nature. But just like we read at the end of this and just like you read from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation and all throughout the Gospels, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope for forgiveness of sins. There's hope of restoration. There's hope of being rescued from our sin and our condemnation. There's hope from being rescued from wickedness. There's hope for all of us, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And just as he said, Jesus died a cruel death, gave himself as a sacrifice, this grace alone would set us free. I would tell you tonight, I know I would venture to bet that most of us in this room on a Wednesday, rainy Wednesday night, coming to church, uh, coming to, to hear God's word taught, I would venture to bet most of us would say that we're believers and we've trusted Christ. But there may be that one here tonight that has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Man, there is no better time for you to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior than tonight. There's no better day than for you to give your heart to the Lord and be freed from those consequences of sin, to get a new heart, uh, and to be changed and to be reconciled to a God who desires a relationship with each and every one of us. There's no better time for that than tonight. Or maybe you're here tonight and you would say, I, I've known Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've been a believer for most of my life. But if I'm honest, I'm struggling with sin in my life. Well, I would ask you, is it just the outward or have you dealt with the inward? Have you dealt with what's really going on in your heart? And I've asked Mary Elizabeth to come back up and lead us in a time of invitation. I would challenge you to respond uh, in a couple of ways. You can come down front if you need to make a decision, like if you want to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk and to pray with you. Or maybe you're here and you say, hey, I came in and I love what's going on here at this church and I want to join this church. Man, we would love to receive you in that way as well. So you can respond in those ways or you can respond by just allowing the Lord to speak to your heart, maybe sitting where you are and praying or maybe coming to the altar and praying and talking to God. Or you can respond by singing the words of the song that we're going to sing uh, and singing truth back to God. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand and, and sing uh, and spend this time together. Father, we thank you again for the night. I thank you just for the opportunity that we've had to gather here tonight and to hear, uh, Lord, your word taught. Lord, I thank you uh, over these past few weeks if you've, as you've taught me and reminded me of things, Lord, and challenged my own heart. I pray in this time as we respond to your word, Lord, if there is somebody here that needs to trust you tonight as their Lord and Savior, Lord, you would just allow them to come forward. Or if they need to join our church, Lord, whatever it is, that you are speaking into their lives or dealing with their hearts about, 
Lord, may we respond in this time. Lord, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.